Even when I'm not, you're faithful. Amen. That's the God that we serve today. And we, we are without a doubt a blessed people knowing that without a shadow of a doubt that our God is here and he is able to do what we cannot. I, I, uh, I wonder sometimes like how we, how we can live a life of peace at all if we're not relying upon that work of redemption that only Jesus can bring. There is no other name under heaven but Christ. Every decision we make in life, it has to be placed upon who Christ is. I don't know about you guys, but I serve a Jesus who touches the innermost being of who I am. I don't come to church and just sing religious songs and read religious texts and do religion. But guys, we're here with a God who wants to intercede with us. And I don't know about you folks, but, but I feel a movement of God in this place and even throughout this country right now. So a lot I know people want to criticize and say this or that or the other. But guys, whether we like it or not, there's revival coming to this country. God did not bring me to be with you for us to set and to be lackadaisical in our faith. To lack faith. He didn't call us together to come to church and to not have faith in who he is. Our God is faithful. And I I would have to say this, that if if we're not going to jump on this train, we're going to miss it. I see the revival breaking out at different campuses across the country. Now everybody's like, well, this, that, and the other. They want to criticize it. I've heard people call it icky. Are you kidding me? Revival is not icky. Revival is a work of God. And when you talk about a work of God, you better be careful what you say against it. I know, I know for me, when, when it comes to seeing God work in the hearts of people, that's what I desire. As your pastor, I don't desire to have business meetings and quarrels. As your pastor, I desire to see the work of God to happen in such a way that we've never experienced it before. We have a business meeting today, and I know some of y'all may come with your guns loaded, or some of y'all may have preconceived notions, but I'm saying this right now, that if you trust in God, then trust in Him. Quit trusting in what feels right here on paper. You trust in the Holy Spirit of God. We're not a business. We're not a bunch of people that just call ourselves Baptists, but here's the thing, church. We are the bride of Christ. I'm not powered by you. You're not powered by me. We are powered by the Holy Spirit. And if I'm not powered by the Holy Spirit, then I'm powered by nothing at all. We've been studying through these churches, and I cannot help but just how how we can look at these verses and just dismiss them as a letter just to other people. Because we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think what that means in modern terms is that as believers in Jesus Christ, He's the same. He, He reacts with you and I in a redemptive way in the same way. But church, let me caution you. He also acts in a disciplinary way in the same way. If you think that God's going to come against Laodicea because of their lack of faithfulness, and he's not going to come against First Baptist, you got, you got your stories mixed up here. If we walk around without faith, God's going God's to have something to do with that. And I'm really not concerned if I offend people or not, and I hope that you feel the same way. Amen? I'm more concerned that I offend the Most High God. 
Because at the end of Daniel's life, I don't want to say, well, Daniel, why didn't you step out on faith here? I gave you everything you needed. Why didn't you step out and do the ministry that I called you to? It's the same for all of us. We should not desire just to live a life of comfort, to have uh, something, a cushion behind us to protect us, but, but rather we live in such a way that God is glorified each and every day. Guys, revival's not a gross thing. Revival's something we should desire. And I'm not talking about just singing and just lifting hands. I'm talking about a true revival within your soul. A true revival that you cannot deny. And maybe you remember that. Maybe you remember when you first came to Christ, you couldn't help but tell people about him. You couldn't help but get excited about the name Jesus. You couldn't help but get excited to open your word. Church, this is what America needs. A lot of people have been praying for revival. A lot of people have been saying, you know what America needs? We need more believers in Jesus Christ. Those same people that I've heard say that, when revival's breaking out in different parts of the country, you know what they say? Well, that's not really what we're, we're wanting. That doesn't look like revival to me. I'll tell you what revival looks like to me. It's when people turn their face to God. And I'm sure there's a lot of things maybe going on in these revivals that I don't theologically necessarily agree with. But here's what I know is that these people are turning their face to God, whether we like it or not. And I have, a, I have a God who sends his Holy Spirit and he corrects hearts when people are wrong. You think I've ever been wrong? You bet I have been. And you guess who's corrected me? It's not been the deacons committee. It's not been the finance committee. It's not been the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not even been my wife. It's been the Holy Spirit of God who's reached out to me and changed my heart. I don't walk here today as just some believer in Jesus Christ who's just going to preach a sermon and go home. If you guys want a preacher that just comes and preaches and doesn't step out here and doesn't go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the wrong guy in your pulpit this morning. Do you hear me? Oh, there's a lot of big bright eyes this morning. Daniel's mad. I'm not mad. I'm passionate. We are not here to play games. We are not here to be Southern Baptists of 50 years ago. We are here to be brides of the Most High God right now. Because here's what I do know. Christ is coming back. Do you believe it or do you not? That should affect us in every way that we live. We should live in such a way that everything that we do, even if we break our iPad, everything that we do, it should be lived to glorify Jesus. Get out of your religious modes. Get out of what you think church is supposed to be about. Quit thinking about, well, what's a pastor supposed to look like? Is he supposed to wear a vest? Is he not supposed to wear a vest? You know what? I don't really care. What I do care about is that God is glorified in this place. At the end of the day, I'm going to answer to Jesus for what I do, what I say, how I lead this church. I'm not answering to you. I'm answering to my God. I'm going to live with passion. I'm going to live in such a way that God is glorified. I don't care about my name. I care about the name of Jesus. I care about who he is. Because it's, there's no other name under heaven that which people can be saved. That's it. And so much of the time, we just, we walk around and just this, 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 this pseudo-Christianity, where we look Christian, we go to church, we go to the business meetings, we go to dinners, we, we give, but we don't live our lives as a sold-out, born-again believer of Jesus Christ. Gosh, I'm really feeling like an old-time Southern Baptist preacher this morning. 
My dad would be proud. My dad was a little fired up every now and then, too. I'm not fired up just for fired up's sake, guys. I want to tell you something. The Lord's been taking me down a path in the last month or two. Really, since I've gotten back from Turkey. It's not just about preaching the gospel. Guys, it's about seeing this place explode for the name of Jesus. I'm not here just to play games. I'm not here just to be someone who just who just sets back and, and just lets the world have their way. Millions of dollars are spent around the world for entertainment purposes. A few weeks ago, they had the Super Bowl. They spent millions of dollars to do this stuff. A couple of weeks ago, the Grammys had their thing, and they worshiped Satan on national television. And they spent millions of dollars. Yet here we are as the church of the most high living God, the only God that there is. And we walk around like we've already been defeated. Church, that's unacceptable. Who do we serve? I'll tell you something. The seven churches here, we know. I'll start preaching now. I'm sorry. But chapter 3 here, we read about this this passage of scripture where Jesus is writing to the church in Laodicea. Look at verse, was that verse 18, verse 14 there. To the angel in the church of Laodicea write, the words of the man, the faithful and true witness, the, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold or hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich. I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him. And he with me. The one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are we really listening? We've spent several weeks, and we've spent six weeks in this series so far. Six weeks looking at churches and what they did right, what they did wrong, and what Jesus had to say to them. Are we really listening today, though? Because I see a society that's going like this, where as a believer in Jesus Christ, we've got to be going like this. Like, we're just getting closer and closer to Christ every day that we go by. I looked up here this morning, and I saw some people leading worship, and I'm thinking, good night, you guys are really close to Jesus right now. I want to be there too. We're not always like that. Within our individual lives, within our ministries, in our church, we just kind of do things to do things instead of saying, God, what is your plan for us? What is it that you want for us to do? And it's interesting, when I was in Turkey, like, there's this place called Laodicea, and it was one of the most impressive sites I had been to. Um, we actually stood probably where Paul even spoke. 
Um, the church in Laodicea started as a house church. And so we went to the place where there was actually a courtyard where they said that's where the house church was at. And then you walk probably, a, I don't know, was it a quarter mile, maybe even not that far. Right down the way, there was the church in Laodicea, the actual church, right? And they've got these fancy awnings over it, and they're protecting and what's there. Uh, the beautiful mosaics are still in the, in the floors. They, they had the baptistry. We got to see that. We got to see where they preached, which was kind of weird because the preachers back then preached about right here. You know, this is where they preached, and there was people all around them. They had the pulpit right here. I thought, that's interesting. How would y'all like me to preach right in the middle of you? Do it. I'll do it, yeah. I'm being double dog there. Okay. But I went there and I saw this church. It's beautiful. You know? I mean, everything's still, it's, a lot of it's still intact and they're still working on it. And, and it was beautiful because a lot, in Laodicea, there was a lot of councils and things that happened where they decided, hey, this is what Christianity is about. Um, they even just, there was different parts in there that decided that you could do this. You couldn't do that. There were rules that were decided there about church. Um, I think that's where the, the crock pot was invented too. I'm not really sure, but, but all of this happens there in Laodicea, but Laodicea was a place in which we've already just read that they were very lukewarm in their faith at this point. And if you go a few miles to the, to the North, I think it was, if you go that direction, there was a, there was a place that had hot springs and. I got to stick my feet in there. The water was very uh, healing. When I went to Turkey, I had a cough. And I stepped in the water and I inhaled all that. I didn't have a cough the rest of the trip. There, there was something to the waters there that there was, you know, some kind of healing properties and then all of that. You know, God, God created that. It's beautiful, right? But we went there. It's also, there was a temple to, uh, uh, to this God you may have heard of. His name was Hades. And it was a little bit scary because they had this big statue of Hades and right below him was a hot spring that they hadn't even messed with. It's still experiencing. And so when you look at this statue of Hades, there's smoke rising up out of it. And it looks like Hades, you know, it looks like what you think. All this that was going on there, that hot water would flow down. And as it flowed down, it coated the mountain and the mountain looked like snow because of all the, the nutrients and the the things in the water as it went down and it deposited those things. But that water would run and it was piped to a place called Laodicea. But by the time that the water got to Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. It was lukewarm. On the other side, if you were to go to the other direction from Laodicea, there was a place called Colossae. There was the Lycus River. This place was known for its crisp, cool water. No joke. And that water would run towards Laodicea, right? But by the time he got there, it wasn't cold anymore. So when Jesus is speaking to this, when he says, you're, you're not this and you're not that, you're just right in the middle, I'm going to spit you out. That meant something to them. They heard that and they're like, oh, wow. We're, we're like, we're not just spiritually, but we're physically lukewarm too. Our water is not worth much here. But the thing that we must see here is that Jesus is calling out to them, but I believe he's calling out to you and to I today. If we're lukewarm, he's going to spit us out. That should scare us a little bit. That should fire your pastor up a little bit. I don't want anybody in my church being lukewarm. I don't want our church being lukewarm. And I'll be truthful with you. I got a lot of pastor friends and they're all lukewarm. And they just want to get that paycheck every week. They just want to, they want to step on that stage and everybody listen to their voice. You know, this past week I went to a Bible study. At the, at the school up here, we hadn't been able to go in for Bible studies or anything, but Austin and I, we went in there and I had, I had just goosebumps the whole time because, you know, thanks to our culture, I can't really go in there and preach, but these, 
these students sat around and they read scripture. And like the Holy Spirit was so thick in that place as they heard the word of the Lord. And they kept kind of apologizing. I mean, we're really just disorganized. And I stopped them. I said, you're not disorganized. The thing that you need to be doing is reading and hearing scripture because that's where your faith grows. How beautiful was that? There were 10 students there. I hope next, next Wednesday that there's 20. Or the whole class, the whole school. I don't care. I even had Jen and some of his folks. They were like, hey, when's that Bible study start? I was like, well, it's for the younger kids. Y'all, y'all are going to have to. If y'all want this, we can do this. But you're going to have to do some movement too, right? Do some requests here. Get some, some classrooms and some places like that. But I looked in that situation and I saw such a, a purity and such a just desire to know God's will. And sometimes as a church, we are just so lost in our religion that we miss that. We're more concerned about when the preacher is going to say his last amen. And that's what really, to be truthful, that's what we come to church thinking. I hope this sermon is not too long. The revival stuff that's going on at Asbury College. I mean, you know, I, I love the fact that people are worshiping Jesus. They don't care what time of day it is. Y'all may have, you know, y'all might have had to park further away than you wanted to today, and maybe that just perturbs you a little bit. But there are people literally standing around the campus waiting to get in there just to sing praises to Jesus. Call it what you want, but I think that's a movement of God. This is an opportunity to see our nation rise up again. And it's not just there, there's other campuses. Like, I want that to happen here. When I was in Turkey, I mean, again, I, I just can't get over the fact I saw all these dead places that were just stones. But, but the ability to talk the gospel, to speak the gospel to people, and you see them give their lives to the Lord, that's what I desire. I don't desire to appease people and to make the people happy. I want to see people know Jesus. I need to jump on that train and go. The call for the church isn't to be complacent or lukewarm. Why? He's going to spit us out. You coffee drinkers know what I'm talking about. You like your coffee hot or you like it iced, right? It's one or the other. Nobody drinks lukewarm coffee. I like to let my coffee sit there and just get room temperature. That's wonderful. So delicious. I do drink it because I'm a weirdo, but I, I prefer it hot. Or even now, every now and then, I like it iced, right? And Jesus is warning them here. And so there are things that we need to surrender in our lives. And I don't want you to think surrender in a bad way. A lot of times we don't want to think surrender because we're mighty Americans, right? We don't surrender to anybody. We win every war we fight. We don't surrender. I get that. It's ingrained in our culture. But here's the thing. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be surrendering your life to him. Did everybody hear that? Jesus, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't know where the next step is, but I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm surrendering to you because you're the king of kings and the lord of lords when we sing that song the great i am as far as i'm concerned we can sing that song every week because every time i hear that song all i can think about is my dad and my grandparents people that have gone on before me they're singing that song today as a church we should be doing everything we can so that people can be there to sing that too it's not about just filling pews it's not about just making do for this year. It's about making sure that everybody in, the, in this area that we've been given responsibility to spread the gospel, it's about telling them about who Christ is so that one day they can sit in that throne of God and say, you're the great I am. Holy, 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 you are the great I am. That's, that should be it. Every decision should be based upon that thought. 
Harry's is because we're not lukewarm or we shouldn't be. But what do we surrender? Well, one thing we need to surrender was we need to surrender our worldly wealth. I, I think about this in a lot of ways because we're very comfortable in America. Most of us, we can go to McDonald's any time of the day we want, right? We may not be super rich, but we can eat a hamburger whenever we want. That's a blessing. We, could, we can go and do something, you know, uh, whenever we want. We, we live in a very blessed nation. But when I read this, I think it's a call for you and I today to understand the true worth of Jesus. If I was to give everybody in here a $100 bill, y'all just love me to death, wouldn't you? Man, he gave me a $100 bill. There's a lot I can do. Well, I can buy a couple carton eggs, right? But I, I can go... With $100, I can do a little bit anyways. True value is found in Jesus. We have to surrender what we think is worthy to him. That all that really matters in this world is that Jesus is lifted up. Laodicea was a city that was famous for its wealth. There was a time in, I think it was eighty sixty that there was a huge earthquake that hit Laodicea and leveled it. And the Roman Empire came in. They said, hey, we want to give you guys some aid and help you. And you know what Laodicea said? We're rich. We're taken care of. We don't need help. It's literally what they told the Roman, the Roman emperor. We don't need help. So when Jesus looks at them in verse 17 and 18, and he says, you know, you, you say all of this. You say that, that you're rich. You say that you got all of this, that you have no needs. That, 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 that's who you think you are. He says, really, you're just poor and you're blind. I spoke to them too. Because they were a people who had become really accustomed to pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps instead of looking to Christ as the author and the finisher of their faith. It was a cultural thing. And Jesus is calling them here to, to know his worth and to surrender your worldly wealth. Yeah, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but you can't take it with you, right? You go to the Egyptians, I've been watching, I've, I guess my new kick now is I'm studying like those ancient uh, cultures in that area. And I've been looking into a lot of the, like the Egyptian stuff, right? And like what they believed and the gods they served. And, and, um, and, and one thing that the Egyptians would do is that they would prepare their way so that the next life they could live a comfortable life. So they would take things with them. They made sure all their affairs were in order. So they went over there. They had like, I think it was 40 elders that they would have to come across. And the 40 elders would say, what well, did you cheat? Did you steal? Did you lie? If you did any of those, do you have to go back or you would live less comfortably? But if you could answer, no, I didn't do any of that, then you could live the best life, right? That was how they lived their life so that in the future they could have the best thing. But really what the world needs to know today is that we need to surrender our worldly wealth. We need to say, God, I, the most valuable thing in my life is you. The most valuable thing in my life is the blood of Jesus Christ. Are we there? I mean, do we live in that way? I think it's a question we need to be asking Jesus. Really, are you the most valuable thing? You know, in a society where we're just really quick to say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I got so much going on. I'm so busy. Are we really living our lives in such a way that Jesus is number one? And our call here is to surrender our wealth, to, to know our, his true worth. I'm, this is not a call for you guys to give a big offering to the church. This is not what I'm saying, okay? What I'm saying is that your heart, what you value, is going to determine what direction you move in life. If you love Jesus, 
I can't help but think that as we've come together as a church, that if Jesus is that true desire in our heart, there's nothing can stop this place. There's nothing that can stop us from going out and, and, and making a major impact for the kingdom of God in this world. I like what Alistair Begg, he's a great pastor, but he says this, he says, hold material goods and wealth on a flat palm, not in a clenched fist. I heard that this week. I was like, that's pretty good. The stuff in the world, hold it on a flat palm. Not in a clenched fist. Why? Because we don't value it more than we value God. We don't value it more than we value Jesus Christ, the, the, the one who's redeemed us. And so we have to be a people who are defined by our surrender to the worldly idea of wealth. Because truly, we know what wealth is, right? Jesus tells them here, you think you're good. You think you've got all this he says, but actually, you're wretched. I like to read this because, man, it speaks to my heart. He says, you think you're all of this, but you're wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. These are the things that you are. It can get really easy for us just to think, well, this is what success looks like. And Jesus is like, no, 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 absolutely not. No. You're actually pitiable. You're poor. You're blind. This is what you actually are. You think you're doing so well. But he invites them. He doesn't just leave them in that pitiable state, right? He doesn't leave them blind. He doesn't leave them poor. He doesn't leave them wretched. He says, I invite you to come buy the purest gold there is. I invite you to come buy that gold that's been refined in the purest fires. You guys are all familiar with how they refine gold, right? We've all heard the analogy. They, they basically, they heat the, heat the gold up and all the impurities and the other things that they comes to the surface and they take that off and they, they call it slag and they take the slag and stick it to the side. And there's value to some of this slag. There's stuff in the gold that can be valuable. There's other things that get mixed in there, but the most valuable thing is pure gold. Jesus doesn't invite them to have perfect this, that, or the other that the world says we need to have. He says, I invite you to, to get the gold that comes from me, that perfect and pure gold. We have to be surrendering our wealth, or at least our ideas of our wealth, about what is, is the goal in this life. The second thing I would say is that we need to surrender our worldly culture. I love studying culture, and I think maybe one reason I like to study culture because it helps to understand me better. It helps to understand who I am, because they may be an Egyptian, or they may have been Mesopotamians, or they may have been Zoroastrians. They may have, they may have lived in the, the desert somewhere. But here's what I do know is that all humans face this thing called imperfection and brokenness. And we build our cultures on those kinds of things. And if we build our cultures on what we think is right, it's going to fall apart every time. What you guys are experiencing in America today is a culture that's been built on unworldliness. Or, or on worldliness. It's not built upon Jesus, for sure. Everything that we're experiencing, I mean, it's all being shaped towards what? Towards uh, a worship of a God that doesn't even exist. We need to be, as a people, surrendering to the worldly culture, saying, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to surrender that from my lives. I don't want it in my life anymore. I'm only going to live for Jesus. That's it. Because what McLeod needs, it doesn't need you blending in and not being offensive because of your faith. What it needs is you going out there proclaiming Jesus every single day. Every single day. Are we doing that? Because the call that we see here is, is not to keep doing what we're doing. Oh, well, we've done this for years. Why don't we just keep doing this? We must be a people who understand 
Jesus and his ultimate, ultimate covering. He tells him there, he says, you guys, you, you need to come to me. You think you're rich. But I invite you to come wear white garments. What's cool about this part of the world is um, Laodicea was known for their black wool, their black textiles. They made black things. Their clothes were black. And it's like it really spoke to them too because he's like, hey, I want you to come put on this white. We all know what white means, right? Spiritually speaking, white means purity. It means holiness. He's like, I invite you to come to, to shed the culture, to quit wearing the, what the culture says to wear and come and wear what I can provide. Jesus wants to clothe us in goodness and his grace. Are we doing that? Are we, are we going to Jesus saying, God, I want my, my view of the world to be based on who you are. Can't change or control the world around us. But guys, here's the thing. We can change what's going on right here in our hearts. When we get up in the mornings, we, we can either live for the world. We can live in a lukewarm way. Or we can say, Jesus, I want to be on fire for you today. I want to be that hot coffee that people sue over. That's what I want to be. I want to be on fire for Jesus. We surrender that worldly culture. We surrender what we think wealth means. We just get rid of that stuff. We push it out. We say, no more. I don't want that in my life. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to live in Laodicea. I want to live on the, on the mountaintop there at Hierapolis. I want to live in Colossae. I want to be hot or cold, but I want to be these things because Jesus says, you don't want to be in the middle. You can... Serve this, you can serve that, but you can't serve both. Which is it? It's a church. Are we going to serve him? We're going to serve ourselves. Are we going to serve what God's placed before us as far as ministry, as far as coming together and seeing people lifted, uh, directed towards Christ and him lifted up? Are we going to be that church or are we just going to be a church that just we're just comfortable? Because I see a lot of comfortable churches everywhere I go. It's not the plan. It's not what God wants. He wants us to be the church that is living for him. We're a church that we've surrendered that worldly wealth. We've surrendered that, that idea of what worldly culture, the importance of it. We don't need it anymore. It's, it's not who we are. I mean, if for one thing, popular, popular culture, it, it preys on the insecurity of the masses anyways, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about it, I mean, even going back, and I love Elvis, I love his music, I love all of that, you know? I, I'm, a, I'm a big music fan, but even the culture, if we just take a big scope here, right, of what the culture did in the music over the last 50 years in, in America, every bit of it's, it's, the music industry is all based in being popular, being rich, being sexually perfect, right? Everything. It's all, it's what music is based on. It's, it's, it's what it is. It's weird when we see a concert and we don't see one of those things kind of lifted up. That's where we're at today. That's that culture getting into that. But we don't want to be that. Pop culture, it's reaching out to those insecurities. Well, how are people insecure? They want to be rich. They want to be popular. And they, they, they just want all this stuff, right? And Jesus is like, that's not what you need to be searching. You need to be searching me. You hear me this morning, church? You're awfully quiet this morning. Why are we searching in life? Is it him or is it not? I mean, it, we, we, there's no in-between. Because there's a call for you and I. The last thing I would say this morning is that we need to surrender to his redemptive power. Most people here, if you 
past when you got saved, most of us are like, ah, I saved at nine years old at vacation Bible school. I've saved at 10 years old at a camp, I, you know, seven and 12, or, you know, these different time periods. A lot of us have been saved since we were kids. But maybe we never really just surrendered with our lives 100% and said, I, I just want to live in your redemptive power, Jesus. I'm tired of putting the idea of wealth above you. I'm tired of putting culture above you, Jesus. I just want to surrender to your ultimate redemptive power. You understand that one of these days, Jesus is going to redeem us all, right? Go to chapter one. It talks about how he wipes away every tear. There's not going to be any more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more separation. There's no more dark. There's only light. There's only worship in the throne room of God. Church, do you hear me this morning? That's the God we serve today. We have to surrender to his redemptive power. We, we need to be that people. Jesus, I, I want to live for you because it's in you that I find life. I love going to the mountains. I love going to the beach. Right? I go to those places and I just feel, oh, this is the life. <laughs> right? Last summer we went to the beach, even a Texas beach. But I went to a Texas beach last summer and I'm like, this is the life. This is it. This, you, know, you, you say that in your mind, but really, life is only found in Jesus Christ. He's that one sure thing that each and every one of us needs today. If we're seeking that life anywhere else, it, it ends. That, that, that vacation ended, right? If I'd sat there long enough, a hurricane would have come along and blew me away, right? If I'd sat there long enough, those little crabs would pick me to death. But life is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. I'll never forget we were sitting on the beach and Jet's out there bodyboarding because he's manly like that, you know. He was tearing it up, man. I was proud of him. Following in his dad's footsteps out there trying to defeat the world. But uh, he's out there doing that. But we were kind of playing on the beach and Jaren's, we'd went to like a, a big battleship and he had a, he'd bought an army hat on a battleship, which is weird, but he bought this army hat, you know, and, and uh, he's playing with the army hat and... Um, it should have been Air Force something. I, I get it. But but he has this army hat, right? He has this army hat on. He's out there playing on the beach, and he just wore it the whole time. Or just like, okay, that's cute, you know? But he, I see him walk over there, and he picks up something blue. It's about this big. He picks this blue thing up, and he's like this. And all of a sudden, I see him go. He picked up one of those man of wars, those big jellyfish. It was, he had washed up. <laughs> he picked that thing up, and it just stung him all over. I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty gruesome, right? Think about that because Jeremy was just living his life, man. He just he's enjoying it. He's exploring his beach. He's digging holes. He's covering up holes. He's running out of the water. He's coming back. He's you know throwing sand on mom and dad. He's doing all this kind of stuff. He's having having this wonderful time. But then that life brought pain, didn't it? That life brought pain when he picked up that that, that man of war. He picks it up and he just stung him. And, and fortunately, he didn't do a whole lot a lot of bad stuff. And no, he didn't pee on it, but. He, he 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 did all of that, right? And it, his hand kind of swelled up a little bit. And um, and one thing he did say, he's like, "Dad, let's put it back in the water." I was like, "Man, you're you got a heart, man. You got a good heart." So we took we we got his hat and we stuck it in there and we took it and threw it back out in the water. And uh, some other lady got stung a little bit later, but <laughs> I 
think we, we look at life. The beach is the life. The, you know, this is the life. Uh, maybe church is the life for you. Maybe you didn't expect to hear Brother Daniel get really loud this morning about break his iPad. You know, that's okay. I'm sorry. But 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 I think that the point goes to, it makes the point is that I think we need to hear from, from Jesus Christ every now and then. Not just from some milked, watered down gospel that most churches preach. I just don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anybody to be mad. We should be more offended if we're offending Jesus. Jesus even says that there. He goes on to the end. And he says, guys, those whom I love, I reprove. I don't know about you guys, but I read, when I read this, it walks all over me. If you're offended today, I'm sorry, but I'm offending myself this morning too, okay? Everybody understand that? When I read this, it's reproving me. When I read this, it disciplines me. When I read this, it prompts me to be zealous and it prompts me to repent. Do pastors repent? You bet we do. We better be repenting. Because there's a world out there that's trying to shape how I look at the value of culture or how I look at the value of wealth or how I look at how churches should run. Church isn't just a business. Church isn't just something we do because it's tradition. This is the very house of God where he sends his people out to proclaim the good news. That's why we're here. This is the place where if you've heard the message today and you don't know Jesus, today you can know Jesus. You can give your life to him today. The Bible teaches us that we've all fallen short of God's glory. That's everyone. That's all of us. Everybody agree with that? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. You see why it's important that we that we surrender all this stuff out of our lives and we turn around and surrender our lives to his redemptive power. It's important. What we need in the church today is, is people who are real in Christ. I've, uh, I've been let down that's, 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 you know, by brothers and sisters around the state, not even, not here, but I've, but I've had some brothers um, who, who've had some failures in their ministries and stuff lately, and I'm like, and it's really just kind of set me back, to be honest. People that I look, looked up to and they're walking away from their faith, and 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 I and I get a whole like the idea of like forgiving and you know, going on and, and being being loving to these people. But when you turn around, and you see them, and they're just continuing to walk how they wanted, like nothing ever happened. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, how does this? How, how do you walk so close to Jesus? Or it seemed like it, anyways. But how do you walk so close to Jesus and then just kick dirt in his face? How do you do that? Church, I I think. It's time for the American church. I think it's time even for us to get back to the basics, right? We've talked about it a lot over these last couple of years, haven't we? Getting back to the basics. Some of you are like, Daniel, you preach about the gospel a whole lot. You bet I do, because <laughs> it's important. I can get up here. Guys, I can, I can get all theological up in your face if you want me to. I can talk languages and history all day long. Y'all, some of you are like, no, I don't want to hear that, right? I can do that all day long, but here's what I think is needed for us is we need to get into the work of the gospel. We need to hear his words. Our faith grows so that we can leave from here. Not a church that's lukewarm, but we're a church that's on fire. We're cold. However you want to look at it. Cold just doesn't have a good like picture for me. But So we're hot coffee this morning, right? Everybody say hot coffee. Hot cocoa. Okay, hot cocoa. I don't like cold cocoa. That's just chocolate milk. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I do love chocolate milk, so I'm I'm just a hypocrite. I'm sorry. 
But the calls for us to be saved, the calls for us is to walk in that salvation, the call for us is to forsake everything in this world. When I married Joni, y'all know who Joni is, right? My, my wife. Um, <laughs> we're coming up on 23 years of marriage. And when I married her, like one of the things we said, we're going to forsake all others, right? We're not going to have a part-time on the side or something else. I mean, you forsake all others. And for some reason, we think with Jesus, we can, we can have side God. Can't. He's not a God with benefits, right? He is the God of redemption. He's the one that comes after us. He's the one that went to dark Calvary. He's the one that shed his... He, he, people, guys, understand this. He shed his blood for you. He was humiliated. The God of creation was humiliated for you. The skin from his back was ripped for you. All of this because why he loved us. And, and if we feel a little bit like our toes are stepped on this morning, good. You know what that means? That means he loves you. <laughs> right? If you read scripture and you're like, oh, it's because Jesus loves you. He's trying to prove you, to, re to correct what's wrong there. He's doing it to me right now. Because guys, believe me, it's a lot easier to just get up here and say, oh, we're all good. Everybody's good. We're all happy. Everything's perfect. So that's an easy sermon to preach. But these hard truths, right? Well, we need to hear them. I need to preach them. You need to share them. Pray you share what you hear, what you learn from Scripture. Amen? Jesus says all of that, and he says to do that, to, to understand to, to get rid of all that stuff in your life, to, to push it off to the side. Right, guys, we have got to understand what God can do in regards to our broken condition. Do you know God can fix this? Can God sustain this church? He has. He'll continue. We just got to keep drawing close to him. And when we draw close to him, he draws close to us. That's how it works. But if we're living in our own mentality and all that we do, how can we ever expect to be blessed? How can we ever expect to be blessed if we just kind of live in our own realities and what we think is right? We need Jesus so that we can see. Uh, the last thing I would say this morning, we need to surrender to his redemptive power. But there's a mention there that Jesus says that um, I'm going to help your, your sight, right? He says, I'm going to help how you see. He says that you know, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked, you need clothes, you need good gold. But he says, you need salve to anoint your eyes. You guys catch that? What's so significant about that? Well, I looked it up. Laodicea was known for this thing called their Phrygian powder. And it was stuff they put on their eyes so that they could see clearly. Everything Jesus said, and this is the last church we're preaching on out of this series, but I want you to understand, everything that Jesus said to these churches was specific. Guys, you're lukewarm. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Guys, you're naked. Wear white clothes. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Guys, you think you're rich, but you're really not. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Guys, you're blinds. You need the Sabbath that can only come from Christ. We need Jesus so that we can see. If you're getting anything out of these, these words today, out of the scripture, it's because God is opening your eyes. I believe that salvation is a work of God, don't you? If you're hearing this this morning, that's God opening your eyes saying, oh, okay, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. Glory in that. Live in that. Apply it. If you're being called to salvation today, 
Eat it. Repent. Come to Christ. I can sit up here all day and invite people to come pray. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you, we're just doing a religious thing. I want the Holy Spirit to draw you to these altars. I want the Holy Spirit to, to send you into that world. To not be hotter. Yeah, to be hot. Of course, to be hot. You don't want to be lukewarm. The world doesn't need you to go out there and just to walk around with a cloak over your head anymore. You need to go out there to worship him. He ends it up and he says he stands and he knocks. Did you guys realize Jesus stands and knocks? This is one of the first verses I remember. And there was a Bible school. I was probably four or five years old. I remember at Quentin. I uh, went to Bible school and I remember there's a picture of Jesus knocking on the door, right? I think we even colored one. And I think we built a door with like a door knock on. I just remember doing some popsicle stick stuff, right? Because that's what you do. But I remember the verse. It like it's stuck in my head all these years. Verse 20, I stand at the door and I knock. Do you guys realize Jesus is knocking on your door today? If somebody comes to your house and knocks on the door, which I know a lot of times we just don't answer anymore. I do the same thing. Unless it's my church people, I let you in. But he says, I stand at the door and I knock, right? If Jesus is standing here knocking on our doors today, what kind of people are we? Are we really believers in Jesus Christ if we don't open that door? If Jesus has spoken to your heart today, you're like, man, I felt that. Now live in it. Invite Jesus in. Live that way, right? Am I alone in that? Does everybody see that? If I stand at the door and I knock, then let me in. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. We're Baptists. We like to eat. We're about to eat. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. In other words, there's going to be that sweet communion that only comes from knowing Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a wealth thing. It's not a cultural thing. It's a knowing Jesus thing. It's a knowing Jesus thing. Do we know Christ in that way? Because the truth of the matter is he's standing at the door and he's knocking. Our Wednesday night group, we've been going through um, Genesis, the book of Genesis there. And um, we, it's taken us forever to get through Genesis 1 and 2. And now we're into chapter 3. Last week we talked about the fall. And one of the things we talked about in the fall was why did the fall happen? The one reason that the fall happened is because Eve started doubting. Satan got in there and started telling her stuff. And she doubted. And like that, a little bit of doubt caused a whole lot of problems, right? I'm not blaming it on Eve, by the way. We're not done. This is going to be like a six-part series, I think, on the fall. But, but you know, they were both at fault here, right? They were both uh, humans with free will and all that. We, we talk about all that kind of stuff. But Eve, she doubted. Like Satan comes to her and said, well, God didn't really say that you would die. That's not really what he said. And she began to doubt. And when she doubted, it changed the way she lived her life. Church, if I could give you any tool to take from this place to fight whatever the world's bringing against you, don't doubt. Did everybody hear that? Don't doubt your God. You can doubt your pastor all day long. You can doubt your church, but never doubt Jesus. You can doubt your president. You can doubt your senate. You can doubt your, your governor. You can doubt your school systems. You can doubt your sports team. You can, you can doubt McDonald's. Right? I said at McDonald's the other day for like 13 minutes. Are you kidding me? Fast food or whatever. I wasn't even hungry by the time I got it. I was like, I don't even want it. It's like, but I was stuck in line and I had to get it. Don't y'all hate that? You get stuck. Anyways. He's calling us today to surrender to him. 
We don't need the 2023. We just got to be a church that surrendered. Jesus, you're it. You're the great I am. We're not going to live in doubts. We're not going to live in confusion. We're not going to live in anger. As a church, we've got to be unified. But yesterday, I had a wonderful meeting with the finance committee, and that's what we prayed, didn't we? Didn't we, Janet? We prayed that God would just unify us. That's what I want. I think that's what everybody wants, right? We want to be a church that's unified so that Christ is lifted up. The way we do that is by making sure that Christ is center and he's the Lord. We don't live in doubt. We don't live in confusion. We don't live in being scared. We don't, we don't live in, 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 in the distractions of the world, but we live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Do you know what Jesus said? I hope you do. If you don't know him, I invite you to come and know him today. I think he's speaking to your heart. Today, you can know him. The Bible teaches us that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But the gift of God is eternal life. And if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, after the Holy Spirit's worked on you, if you believe in your heart and then you say, Jesus, yes, I accept your free gift, he's going to walk with you. He's going to be your savior. Is he knocking on your door today for salvation? Is he knocking on your door today to get real? Is he knocking on your door today to shed that old life and to walk in newness of life today? I hope that's true. As we stand, I'm going to pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for you. You are. What a good and gracious God that you are, Father. I pray as we go into this time of ending worship, and Lord, these altars we know are open and people need to pray, but Father, I know without, without a shadow of a doubt, God, I know that you're good. Sure, the great I am. Father, I pray that we would look to you, not to the world, not to our definition of what wealthy means, not to our definition of what security means, not to our definition of what it means to be a good citizen, but Lord God, I pray that we look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith. Will you be glorified in the lives of all of us today? And that seems like a big order, but God, here's the thing. I believe you can do it because you are the redeemer. Your name, amen.